Hey everybody, Joseph here, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast, a show that features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres. But first, a little bit about us. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation, proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. We have a vibrant and thriving ministry to our neighbors here in Flint and are engaged weekly in worship, faith formation, a dynamic ministry to kids and teenagers, and community building across generations. You can learn more at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 930 to worship with us. We'd love to welcome you and your family to worship. Now, here's this week's sermon. the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. Church, I'm wondering, as Christians, how should we approach situations of terror and horror in our world? This may not be the question at the forefront of your mind on this beautiful Lord's Day, but I ask it nonetheless. What is a faithful Christian response to moments when the bottom falls out and we are gutted to our core and all we can whisper is not again? What ought the Christian do? as we collapse into our sofa and hurl our phones across the room in outrage. I'm thinking of our neighbors in Uvalde, Texas this week. As my goodbye hugs to my kids before school stretched out longer than usual. My kids wonder why I am tearing up before drop-off because I just can't figure out how to explain to them what has taken place to children their age. I'm thinking of our African-American brothers and sisters in Buffalo and across the country who rightly wonder what they should do when they must be terrified to even enter a grocery store because we live in a world where some want to kill because of skin color. Or as our Taiwanese-American brothers and sisters in Laguna Woods experienced this week in a Presbyterian church. What do we do when we become the targets at a place of worship because a stranger with an ethnic vendetta hates us so much he's willing to kill? The news this past month has been filled to overflowing with the terror of this world. And as we come to the end of the book of Revelation, to the end of the Christian New Testament, to literally the final words written to the church that are part of our scriptures, I guess I am left wondering what we are supposed to be doing as the church of Jesus Christ as we 
wait in this time between the ascension of Jesus and his coming again, between the and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. What do we do? My social media feed this week has been filled with long tirades, political outrage, far too many people foolish enough to believe that debate in Facebook comment feeds is going to change the hearts and minds of anybody. Both sides of the aisle are demanding absolute entrenched loyalty to their talking points on a myriad of complex issues, and even the slightest movement towards compromise is written off as betrayal. The left is rightly angered by the right's willingness to send thoughts and prayers but not pass laws. The right is rightly angered that the left refuses to acknowledge the frayed moral fabric in our society that creates the possibility for such terror. Both sides have their social media algorithms finely tuned to only hear their own views echoed back in the midst of this debate. And when we add the accelerant of political campaigns, well, everything around us feels like it's just on fire. And sandwiched between all of this, in the midst of this national upheaval, there sit actual human beings, families, children, mothers, fathers, grandmothers who have collided at 100 miles per hour into the cement median of anguish and sorrow and grief. Any human being with a gram of compassion, any Christian who follows the Jesus who loses it as he stands outside his friend Lazarus's grave and weeps must be similarly moved at the outpouring of confusion and sorrow over these past weeks. As we round the final turn of Revelation and head back home this week, church, I ask you, is there anything in these closing words that the Spirit might be trying to say to us today. It might just be me, but I'm inclined to say yes. Yes, there is something to be said today, even when we feel like things are falling apart. These closing words of the book of Revelation offer to us good news, and they offer to us courses of action. The only problem is that these courses of action may be discomforting to us. I'm going to assume for a moment that you're here in worship so that we together can draw close to the Almighty God, that we can learn how to follow Jesus in our lives, and that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit anew to be able to endure whatever trials this week brings to us. And to that end, I believe Jesus has some things to say to us, things that, let me be clear, overrule and transcend all of our political back and forths. So let us turn our hearts and minds to these final words from the book that we love. But first, a few words about making bread. In the early months of the pandemic, about May 2020, I found myself staring into a mason jar on my counter that was filled with a mixture of whole wheat flour and water. For days, I kept track of this mixture changing it out daily, refreshing it with fresh flour and water as I waited for the wild yeast to mingle with that good bacteria and transform this flour and water mixture into a proper sourdough starter. 
After about 10 days of feeding and discarding and waiting, I finally had a strong, energetic starter from which I could learn how to make loaves of sourdough bread, which I did over and over and over, failing far more than I succeeded at first, but eventually learning how to get the timings and the proportions just right. My Instagram account is now like half pictures of my kids and half pictures of my bread. <laughs> my pantry is filled with proofing baskets and loaf pans and church. Let me tell you, I'm more excited about a King Arthur Baking Company gift card than I am with cold hard cash. That's where we're at these days. The baking bug bit me hard. I'm especially pleased to report to you today that the same starter that I made in May of 2020 is still alive, resting in my fridge, still capable of producing that tangy, yeasty rise needed to make airy, fresh sourdough loaves. One of the things that surprised me about my bread-making experiments was, in most cases, making bread involves a radically simple ingredient list. When I make a loaf of sourdough bread, it's flour, sourdough starter, water, and salt. That's it. The starter is your yeast, so if it's perky and active, you don't need anything else. That's it. Four ingredients. Flour, starter, water, salt. I mean, you can get fancy and add other things. You can spice it up and add some whole wheat flour, maybe, or some rye flour to really mix it up. Or you can chop up some fresh rosemary and knead that into the dough if you want. But these aren't necessary for just a simple loaf. Flour, starter, water, salt. That's it. That's all you need. Now, church, if you forget one of these, or if you mismeasure one of these, your bread will fall flat. It will be unstable, it will be tasteless and boring. Flour, water, starter, salt. These, in proper proportion, are what is absolutely essential for making bread. Today's reading from Revelation 22 offers to us the essential ingredients in the recipe for how a Christian faces down a world tearing itself apart by the seams. While there may be more things you could add to this to spice it up, I think today's text reminds us of the big three. The three essential components to being faithful in a fearful world. Like the flour, starter, water, salt of sourdough bread making, today's recipe card from Revelation 22 spells out three essential ingredients, and they are hope, lament, action. Hope, lament, action. Let's get into it. First, hope. Today's reading begins and ends with the risen and ascended Jesus saying, I am am coming soon. You can read it in verse 12. See, I am coming soon. You can read it again in verse 20. Surely I am coming soon. The first ingredient on our recipe card is hope. Hope in the promises of Christ to arrive. 
to descend in glory, to deconstruct our violence and our heartache and reveal a new society, a new heaven, a new earth, a new city of God. When Jesus says he is coming soon, the hope of the church is given particular expression. We are not anticipating or waiting for merely something undisclosed out there someday. We are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, the one who the text says is the Alpha and the Omega, the one whose word brought forth creation and the one who stands at the end of all things. We are waiting for something and somebody particularly. Verse 13 of today's reading repeats themes that Jesus said back in chapter 1. We have a neat bookend here between chapter 1 and chapter 22. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end, says our Lord. As we face down terror and anguish and violence, the church turns its face towards the one who stands at the beginning and the end of all things, the one who assures us that this present mode of suffering is not our final destination. Our first ingredient is hope. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? Asks the psalmist. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. We must have hope. If all we have is the present, if all we are waiting for is revealed merely in the present day headlines and news articles, then we will be led further into fear and anxiety. We must choose the hope of Revelation 22 that Jesus offers to a group of Christians who were fearing for their own lives. A hope that says this is not the end. A hope that says I am the end. A hope that says I am coming soon. The first ingredient on our recipe is hope. Secondly, lament. The first ingredient is hope. The second ingredient is lament. In verse 20 of today's reading, we find the church's voice calling out, Come, Lord Jesus. And in this brief three-word prayer, we find gallons and gallons and oceans of longing and yearning. For the church to entreat Christ to come means that the reality we are facing right now is not yet the reality Jesus will bring. For us to plead with Jesus to show up means that what we are presently experiencing is at odds with what we are waiting for. What do we do when we're facing this sort of disparity between our present and the hope of our future? We grieve, we cry, we weep. We lament. Lament is this outward expression of grief and sorrow and longing. In the scriptures, lament is actually a form of prayer. It's a type of psalm. There's something like one-third of the biblical psalms in the middle of your Bible are prayers of lament. Prayers that turn to God 
and sometimes irreverently demand action. Prayers that explain out loud to God just how badly it hurts, how lonely we are feeling, how anguished our spirits are. Psalms of lament are not private blog posts or diary entries. Psalms of lament are, in fact, prayer, welling up from our present condition and being directed into the very heart of God. When faced with terror and sorrow in this world, it is proper and right and good and biblical for us to turn to God in prayer and say, Why, Lord? And say, how long, O Lord? And say, rise up, O God. Stir up your power, Lord. Or as Revelation 22 says, come, Lord Jesus. The second ingredient is lament. The third and final ingredient is action, response, present tense activity. We cannot only hope. We cannot only lament, we must also act. We must change our hearts and our minds. We must find new ways of being and doing and living and working and helping and healing. In Revelation 22, the voice of Christ calls out in verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes. Those who wash their robes. In Greek, and maybe in your Bibles, this phrase is tagged with a little marginal note that explains to us that in many ancient manuscripts of this part of Revelation, the phrase, wash their robes, is interchanged with a different phrase that says, who does the commands of Christ, which is a helpful pointer to us that early Christians understood washing your robes means doing what Jesus says. The invitation here is to a church who is waiting and yearning for a new heaven and a new earth, who is lamenting its present suffering, and to such a church, in such a world, the risen and ascended Christ says, blessed are those who put into practice what I have said. As we sit alongside grief and sorrow and terror, we must be willing to return to the commands of Christ, to his words about what it means to make lasting peace with even our enemies, to heal those who are sick, to visit those who are in prison, to sit alongside those who are grieving, to bear the light in the darkness to evidence the way of God even in our smallest possible areas of influence, to start putting the kingdom of God into practice in the way that we conduct our personal lives, in the way that we live within our families, the way that we act in our neighborhoods, the way that we behave in our society and in our government, in this world. We cannot be people who wash our hands of action and decide it doesn't matter and nothing can be done. We must be people who are regularly returning to the will of God expressed in Jesus Christ and preparing now for the reality Jesus will bring. Revelation 22 gives to the church three ingredients, hope, lament, and action. 
I think that the most disappointing reality that we find in our world when experiencing trauma, especially trauma that we are removed from by geography, is that we know deep down these news stories will not be the last news stories of their kind. As long as conditions remain as they are, as long as the human heart and mind remain corruptible, as long as violent weapons are as easy to possess as they seem to be, the cycle of violence and heartache and sorrow will endure. I say this not as a cynic, nor as a doe-eyed liberal or a gun-toting conservative. I say this as one who has in mind the entire history of our species, right back to the brutal and violent murder of Abel by his brother, who then immediately lied about his complicity. The trouble with the hope, lament, action ingredient list is that all three of these things are necessary for the Christian. We cannot just have hope and leave behind lament and action. We cannot just act without having hope and a willingness to lament. And you cannot just pour out your grief or concern without having something bigger to trust in and a willingness to do something about it. As people who follow Jesus, we choose to put our hope in the one who stands outside the graveyard of this world's mass shootings, violent racism, and candlelight vigils for second graders, and who weeps with us as, we, as he wept with Mary and Martha over Lazarus. We put our hope in the one who says, Behold, I am coming soon. We put our hope in the one who says, I am the beginning and the end. I am the first letter and the final letter. We put our hope in the one who says to us, My payment is in my hands. We put the hope in the one who says, Surely, 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 yes, yes, you can count on this. I am arriving soon. As people who follow Jesus, we turn our hearts to God. We bring to God all our lamentation, all our rage, all our anguish, all our sorrow, all of our how long, O Lords, all of our when will you look upon us again, all of our cries of shall not the God of justice be just, all of our come Lord Jesus prayers. We bring all the words we whisper in the darkness of our minds. We must name them out loud before God's face. We must pour them out at the feet of the Lamb who is standing before us as if it were slain. The Lamb who bears the marks of human violence and cruelty. And to that Lamb we plead for an end to the suffering. Lament to God in prayer must be part of our diet as we face down news reports of terror and violence. And as people who follow Jesus, we must also be willing and ready to take action, to wash our robes, to follow Jesus' commands, to get ready for life in God's kingdom even now. To wash our robes is to prepare individually, sure, but it's also to terraform this world and our societies and our neighborhoods and our legislatures and our, the liberties that we enshrine as fundamental rights into opportunities to testify to the light of Christ. The Jesus that we follow stepped into the lives of the mentally unstable, the criminally vile, and offered them healing and forgiveness. The Jesus that we follow told his violent disciples to put away their swords. The Jesus we follow said that if anyone puts a hand to the plow and looks back, they are not fit 
for the kingdom of God, which means that we cannot follow Christ and hold on to all the things this world tells us we must hold on to. We must be ready and willing to act in ways that are in accordance to what Jesus says. Without these three things, without hope, without lament, without action, I fear that we will either become irreligious activists who care little about Jesus or religious retreatists who think that we have no place in this world. I accept neither of these options. I choose to be a person who puts my hope and trust in the living God, the one who made heaven and earth and who revealed his purpose for all things in Jesus Christ. I choose to be a Christian who does not tire in bringing my heartache and sorrow to the Lord in earnest, demanding and sometimes irreverent prayer. I I choose to be a Christian who stands ready to offer back any so-called freedoms this world offers For the sake of the kingdom of God, where no sword is drawn but the sword of righteousness, and in which the healing light of Christ is lavished upon those who are mentally and spiritually sick. Hope, lament, action. Might we be a church that hopes boldly, that laments honestly, and which acts kingdomly as we journey through this perilous world. I speak in the name of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.